Very far. Long lines for long weekend travelers with volumes right back to normal at the airport, too. A B.C. doctor at her breaking point. Family medicine is hemorrhaging. We are an endangered species. The growing burden on family physicians and how they say it's putting the system at risk. And growing business. We're operating at 1.6 million square feet. One of Canada's biggest legal cannabis producers still battling the black market as 420 approaches. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. British Columbians have been lining up sometimes for hours today to cross the border or head to Vancouver Island, taking advantage of a few days off. It's, of course, the first long weekend since Canada eased pandemic border controls. Ramina Dea is live at Horseshoe Bay with more on the exodus. And Ramina, we haven't seen backups like this for a long time. It's been more than two years, Chris, since we've seen it this busy. It's like Freedom Friday out there. Everybody escaping on a little getaway. And while the lineups were taxing today, most people are just pumped to be traveling again. A four-hour-long wait at Peace Arch at one point for travelers crossing into Washington State. I was pretty excited to go for U.S. after two years. Yeah. But then we end up stuck in traffic. A little slow, uh, but that was to be expected, I suppose. I think everybody's just trying to take advantage of this, maybe before the next big wave hits. It's the first long weekend since Canada relaxed pandemic travel rules. How long have you been waiting here? What's the wait been like? Uh, very long. Yeah? Are you getting uh, impatient? Yes. Excited, a little bit nervous, uh, booked all the testing, everything that we're supposed to do for the little ones. Uh, I, I think we don't need the tests. As long as you are fully vaccinated, at least two shots, you can drive across the border both ways. No COVID-19 test required. One caveat, returning to Canada, you still need to enter your vaccination information on the Arrive Can app. I guess everybody is ready to go because everything's coming back to normal. Normal was more than three and a half million vehicles in 2019. The numbers plummeting to less than half a million in April 2020, a month after the pandemic was declared. Ferry traffic also insane this long weekend. Sailings from Tawasin and the southern Gulf Islands fully booked before you had your morning coffee. Hopefully this the one o'clock ferry, but uh, we've been here since 10.40. Anchored by the pandemic for two years, the Clipper set sail once again, ferrying passengers between Victoria and Seattle. This is the first time it's kind of opened up for us to kind of come over, so we just kind of took advantage of it. We just happened to plan a trip to Victoria right when the Clipper reopened. Tourism, recreation, spending on the rebound, despite severe inflation pushing prices up in the U.S. Certainly those people who have been eager to celebrate holidays together with their family and friends are showing us that they're not hesitant to start doing that again. Freedom Friday, as you called it, Ramina. Frustrating for, <laughs> yeah. frustrating for a lot of people, but uh, there is a silver lining for some, right? Absolutely. I spoke to several business owners over here at Horseshoe Bay, and they were so happy to see the crowds back. The owner of Flower Bakery said it's the first time she's had a lineup uh, in more than two years. So no complaints there about lineups. Back no to you. No doubt. All right. Thanks very much, Ramina.
Well, Vancouver International Airport is warning travelers to be prepared as well if they are flying this long weekend. YVR says it's seeing its highest passenger volumes in more than two years, about 46,000 people per day over the long weekend. It says travelers should arrive for their flight very early. You were seeing the, the air carriers uh, in their messages to passengers will be telling folks to get there for a domestic flight. It could be two, two and a half hours in advance of their flight. So certainly leave yourself enough enough time. Uh, and please uh, recognize that you, you will be traveling with, with other people in the terminal who have not traveled uh, in quite some time. So there's, there's a bit of a relearning of the entire process. YVR is also reminding travelers that while Canada has dropped the requirement for COVID-19 tests for fully vaccinated passengers coming into this country, many other countries, including the United States, still require a valid COVID-19 test before departure. Well, it's the first time in a couple of years religious groups are able to celebrate major holidays like Easter and Ramadan without COVID-19 restrictions. In Kelowna, Muslims are coming together to mark Ramadan at the Islamic Center, an important part of celebrating the holy month. Over at the Trinity United Church, they're setting up for Good Friday service for the first time since 2019. Masks are still recommended, and virtual services remain an option. I think so much of our faith is relational and relationships, and so for the community to be able to come together again and celebrate significant uh, festivals in the Christian year is huge. Trinity United Church says people are still nervous about coming out, even with the easing of restrictions. About half the normal number of people have been attending services. Well, she has won national awards for her passion and outstanding achievements. But a South Surrey doctor warns she is approaching her breaking point, worn down by the nonstop needs of patients, demands for appointments and bureaucracy. As Andrea McPherson reports, it's another potential departure that could worsen BC's doctor shortage. Yet another physician fed up. Our cries are not being heard. Family medicine is hemorrhaging. We are an endangered species. And without us, the primary care system is going to fall apart. Dr. Tamina Aliz reached her breaking point two weeks ago. She caught COVID-19. But instead of resting, she worked around the clock, booking virtual appointments and keeping up on never-ending paperwork, only to return to a large in-person patient backlog. I don't have any paid sick time. And if I don't work, I don't generate income to pay my staff. She, like many others, seriously considering closing her South Surrey clinic doors permanently, but worries her patients will be left stranded if no one's willing to take her place. A major fear here, as the BC College of Family Physicians recently revealed 40% of British Columbians who have a family doctor are worried their physician will close their practice or retire. And we're all in the same boat. I have no colleagues I've spoken to in the last few years who don't feel exactly the same way. While the province argues many more resources have been brought in since 2017, BC's health minister says the need only continues to grow. When you have increased severity, more chronic disease, more older people, more challenges with mental health and addictions, it makes it harder for family practice doctors because they need to spend sometimes more time with those patients. Plus, urgent calls continue for more team-based care. In other provinces, there's physician associates who can fill the role of a lot of the administrative burden. Bringing in our nursing colleagues, our nurse practitioners, potentially physician assistants and other allied healthcare professionals to really wrap around and surround around our patients. 
This as doctors empathize with stressed out patients struggling to access the primary care they so desperately need by overworked healthcare professionals. Andrea McPherson, Global News. Kyiv under fire, a new round of missile attacks on the Ukraine capital and how Russia is justifying its brutal attacks. Next on the news hour. And I'm looking for Todd. Is he around? No. Not here today? No, he's not. You the retirement of legendary global reporter Ted Chernecki and how he wasn't afraid to mix it up with anyone. Later on the news hour. And high times for the Canadian cannabis industry. What's changed for those who jumped at the opportunity that came with legalization? That's later. Right now, though, Russia is warning it will intensify attacks on and around the Ukrainian capital. The Kremlin says it's in response to Ukraine bombing Russian border villages. But it also comes the day after Russia's warship sank in the Black Sea. The war has been raging now for 51 days. And as Global's Crystal Gumansing reports, key battle locations are about to change hands. The security camera video is silent, but the pictures say it all. Multiple angles, multiple missiles. In the light of day, the shop owner is left cleaning up and thinking about what he managed to survive. He says the attack came out of nowhere in the middle of the night when people were sleeping. Russia warned Friday it will increase missile strikes against targets in Kyiv as the Kremlin put out new images highlighting its military might. A move possibly to counter thoughts of Russia being on the ropes following the loss of its prize missile cruise ship. It's now being reported that not everyone on board was evacuated as Russia initially stated. It sank in a storm following an onboard fire, according to the Kremlin. Ukraine says its missiles took out the ship in the Black Sea. It's a potential victory for the war-ravaged country, but many battles are still being waged. Mariupol says Ukraine's defense ministry spokesperson is being attacked for the first time by long-range bombers. The port city is on the verge of being taken by Russian forces. There is really nothing left, but it's a critical location if Russia is to achieve its goal of capturing all of Ukraine's eastern flank. Ukrainian officials allege atrocities are happening on the ground and that Russian forces have mobile crematoriums, so evidence can't be collected when the fighting stops. In Bucha, the horrific task of exhuming bodies continues. French forensic teams are currently in the country helping to document possible war crimes. Canada has three investigators currently in The Hague, and more RCMP specialists will be heading over. The International Criminal Court will determine if they are dispatched to the field. Ukraine's president has repeatedly warned there are more unimaginable scenes of brutality from the past 51 days that have yet to be revealed. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. Of course, many Ukrainians are fleeing to Canada, and sometimes it's not just to escape war. For one couple who ended up in Nanaimo, it's to escape persecution. Kylie Stanton has more on their long journey to safety and the Canadians who helped. As the world watched in horror, there was one question on everyone's mind, and this couple was no exception. How can we do something to help? 
what would we want someone to do for us? For them, the answer was clear. We knew we had space. While more than 9,000 kilometers away, another family, desperately trying to survive, had none. Was trying to find a shelter on the basements of school going basically around the city to find a safer place to stay. The two groups connected through this website, Ukraine Take Shelter. You know, you say if you allow pets, if you allow children, how long you can house people for. Sasha and Dennis, along with Dennis's sister Layla and mother Toma, two cats and two dogs, fled Odessa at the end of February. They were able to escape through Moldova, traveling to Romania and then Paris before finally landing in Canada nearly one month later. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. We come and it's good. They've since settled in here in the Steel's converted downstairs accommodation. Both groups no stranger to the idea of families taking on many different forms. And so they naturally blended. It was like an immediate friendship. All this warmth that they get from the family, it's, uh, they're really thankful for that. But what's been the most welcome surprise is the freedom they have here in Canada to live authentically. Despite being together for 12 years, same-sex relationships are not recognized in Ukraine. One of the main reasons the couple chose not to conscript. They didn't want to serve just because of that discrimination, right? Of course, they were pretty scared because the Russian army was pretty abusive against the guy, gay, specifically gay people there. They're pretty intimidated, so they, they want to leave the country. And now that they're here, they're ready to make things official. The couple plan to marry at a small oceanfront ceremony in Nanaimo this weekend. It was kind of um, a little shocked in a positive way that this is what happened in this land. They hope by sharing their story, they can show others still back home it's possible mm-hmm. and it's worth the risk. Mm-hmm. They, they made it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A new way to detect COVID approved in the U.S. Why the breath test could be a game changer. And later, dignity in dying. New guidelines that are better for patients and for paramedics. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Infectious disease doctors in Canada are weighing in on the first COVID-19 test that relies on breath samples. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved the test there for emergency use. The agency says doctors' offices, hospitals and mobile testing sites are all likely settings for the system. And its private developer claims software analyzes and displays results in just three minutes. A Canadian infectious disease specialist says it makes sense for Health Canada to explore adopting the system too, although breath tests do have their limitations. Breath tests aren't really great at allowing us to get details on the variant itself. It doesn't allow us to sequence the Mm. actual. So all it says is yes, no. And that's not super helpful if we're trying to figure out where virus is and how it's changing either. Other questions unanswered so far, at least, are cost and what level of training is required for a technician to operate the breath testing machine. So far, Health Canada has not received an application to sell the product here. Well, runners are rejoicing. Races are underway again, including the upcoming Boston Marathon on Monday. But some athletes are struggling to get back into form. Some runners who've had COVID are reporting lingering side effects that really slow them down. 
Global's Alan Carter shows us the random, devastating impact the virus can have, even on those with no prior health issues. I had run 11 marathons and two ultra marathons. Running wasn't just part of Beth Pardo's life, it was who she was. Then COVID struck in March of 2020. I've been diagnosed with long COVID. I've also been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, and ME, which means uh, my level of activity is severely diminished. Before the illness, she could push on for kilometers and kilometers. Now? It's very difficult for me to grocery shop on Saturdays. I get tired pushing the cart. You know, that it's a huge blow for a lot of high-functioning people, people with no medical problems. Medical research is just beginning to understand how COVID impacts some people long after their initial infection. When you get the infection, it can inflame lots of different blood vessels in your body. Um, the lasting after effects seem to affect the heart, um, the lungs. Um, it could affect the brain as well. Estimates vary widely on how many people develop long COVID, although evidence shows the more vaccine doses you've had, the lower your odds. Generally, like there are more people running now than, uh, than ever before. Michael Lynn is head of the running club that Beth used to be part of. He's managed to evade COVID, but says her story is a cautionary tale. I think a good warning um, to, to sort of s some of the more serious effects um, of COVID. It's very painful for me to see, you know, all my friends on social media who might be running the races. Doctors warn not everyone with long COVID will return to their former self. You know, most people will recover most of their function back. That's what we've seen. Uh, but some people won't. Pardo has seen some improvement in her condition, but wonders if she'll ever run again. I've resigned to the fact that I will probably deal with these for the rest of my life. Alan Carter, Global News, Toronto. Up next, growing backlash against forest spraying. How the public is left in the dark about where the herbicide is being used. And with 420 fast approaching, a tour of one of the largest cannabis growers in the country. Critics of a proposed program that would spray a huge swath of southwestern B.C. with a controversial herbicide are demanding the government make the details more easily available. As Paul Johnson reports, they say it's nearly impossible for the public to find out where and when the spraying will happen. Check out these before and after shots of public forest land that's been sprayed with the herbicide glyphosate. It's clearly effective. In B.C., the chemical is widely used to kill trees and plants that compete with replanted trees after logging. Using Roundup weed and grass killer products right is key. Many consumers know glyphosate as the active ingredient in Roundup, and some have worried about potential health consequences to people and animals, though none have been proven. But if British Columbians want to find out where glyphosate has recently been sprayed, get ready to do a lot of research. As far as I know, British Columbia is the only province where we don't disclose uh, the herbicide locations ahead of time. James Steidel is with Stop the Spray and says if people wanted to know about this current proposal to spray in the region between Hope and Squamish, they better not have missed this ad in a local newspaper. Ms. Victoria currently offers few other ways to know where and when it's happening. You want to know where the spraying activities are going to be, so maybe you could avoid those areas. They don't want people to know uh, that they're doing this. Green Party MLA Adam Olson is opposed to spraying for a number of reasons, not least of which is the disclosure issue. Their current process is totally inadequate. It, it, it conjures sort of this feeling of 
uh, that they're trying to hide uh, this, uh, this practice, that they're not proud of this practice. The Ministry of the Environment told Global News Friday that easier access to this information is under development, though they didn't have a time frame for that. Steidel wonders why they just don't do the simple thing and put their spray schedules online. Now, we want to go out and pick wild berries that are free of contamination. Why should we not know where that's going to be or where it's not going to be? Paul Johnson, Global News. Looks like Vancouver will have a 420 event after all. Pot activist Dana Larson, who organized previous 420 events at Sunset Beach, says there wasn't enough time after COVID restrictions were lifted to organize this year's event. But another group will be holding a smaller festival at the original location, the Vancouver Art Gallery. Well, we're going to try to reclaim the day. It's been uh, two years of very limited 420s happening, and uh, we had an amazing 420 just before the pandemic hit. So we want to reclaim the day and, and bring back the vibe and bring back that uh, ability of ours to get the message out about what's not right to do with the, the cannabis laws in this world. Organizers say while cannabis has been legalized in Canada, current policies actually make it harder to get and more expensive for the people who need it for medical reasons. Well, one of the world's largest cannabis greenhouses is located right here in B.C. It has been operating in Delta for three years now. And while the cannabis industry is a big economic driver for the province, there is still plenty of work to be done as it goes head-to-head against the illicit market. Imadagahi takes us behind the scenes. This is what a giant room filled with almost a million dollars looks like. Most of the value is in this room. Right. This room has about $800,000 worth of cost. It is as sophisticated of an operation as you can imagine. Pure Sun Farms, using 1.6 million square feet of its property in Delta to produce mountains of legal cannabis. Inside a factory of sorts, professional growers treating the plants like delicacies. The space smells exactly like what you think it would. It's also well ventilated. Today we are the number one producer of dried flower cannabis in Canada. And as a single site operator, we're one of the largest operators in Canada, if not the world. Statistics have been harder to come across since the beginning of the pandemic. But the legal production and sale of cannabis contributed $2.4 billion to BC's GDP in 2019. That year, 19% of people in BC reported to be using cannabis. And 6.5% of Canadians polled by StatsCan said their consumption had increased at the start of COVID-19. More than three years since legalization, taxes and strict rules slowing down production have not made for a completely smooth road. But the province and the industry both agree the biggest challenge continues to be the black market. Facilities like this are highly efficient and from a cost basis we can outcompete the illicit market. So I think that's the first and foremost. Just as important is the quality of our product. In terms of transparency and clean product, there's been studies done that show illicit product is full of pesticides and illegal contaminants and we don't have access to any of those products to use. So customers know they're getting a clean, true, quality product when they buy legal sources of cannabis. What's next for this industry could be lobbying the province for on-site sales and regulated public consumption facilities sometime in the near future. Imadagahi, Global News. BC Emergency Health Services is training paramedics to help keep palliative care patients at home. 
Kristen Robinson reports on the A-STAR palliative clinical pathway and why it's better for those giving and receiving care. For years, taking someone who called 911 to hospital was in most cases the only choice for paramedics. But help doesn't always require an ambulance ride and the emergency room is sometimes the last place a dying patient wants to be. We're transporting patients to hospital. Often when they're towards end of life, uh, the environment wasn't appropriate for the situation they they were in. Three years ago, BC Emergency Health Services switched up their approach, enabling paramedics to treat palliative patients at home if they call 911. How are you doing today, John? Initially introduced in five communities, the A-STAR model of assess, see, treat and refer... You don't like getting poked, eh? Can I, can I just do one poke? ...has now been expanded province-wide. They made things a lot better. Last December, Jennifer Ryan called 911 for her husband, whose health had rapidly deteriorated during his battle with palliative lung cancer. Paramedics were dispatched to their home. They were able to get my husband stabilized, get me calm get him out of pain made the world a difference to us. It kept my husband calm. 1,300 BC paramedics have received the specialized training in palliative care. Options include referral to other services or treatment in locations more suitable than the ER. The experience has been actually quite well received and unexpected in some cases. It's a service palliative care providers say Island Health and Victoria Hospice have been offering for several years. It greatly reduces the stress. It greatly supports the caregiver at this time in their life. It's important that their wants, their needs, and their desires be respected and reflected in the service that they receive. Since 2019, more than 400 911 calls in B.C. have met the A-STAR guidelines, allowing patients to receive in-home paramedic care. Um, We knew he only had weeks uh, left. Uh, It's going to make me a bit sad, but... Ryan's husband, Jim, passed away 16 days after the home visit she'll always be grateful for. This was... This was one of the, one of the diamonds in the care that we had received. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Just ahead, our send-off for a legendary reporter. Tonight, I think, is an exception. Over the course of his long career, there wasn't much Ted Chernecki wouldn't try. And coming up in sports, rebuilding Canada's Rugby Sevens team with a big tournament in town this weekend. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. More than 2,400 meals are being prepared for people in the downtown east side as the Union Gospel Mission gears up for its annual Easter brunch tomorrow. Our meals are still COVID style to go. But we have picnic tables and um, a lot of opportunity to build relationships there. The UGM says the meal is an important reminder to community members that they are supported and they're valued, especially as many people have faced incredible hardships in recent weeks, including dozens who lost their homes in a devastating fire in Gastown. We have community members who are now unable to access their mail because Canada Post has suspended delivery. We have an ongoing fentanyl crisis that is claiming six lives in BC every single day. Um, Increased inflation making it difficult to both eat and pay rent. 
and uh, just a myriad of other difficulties. They'll be serving up more than 600 kilograms of ham, more than 400 pies. Mucci is excited the UGM is able to offer a hot meal, especially because shelter spaces have reached or exceeded capacity recently with unusually cool and wet weather. And hopefully by Thanksgiving we'll be able to go back and be a part of it. It's fun to be a part of that, for sure. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell with a look at that weather forecast. Chris mentioned this unseasonably <laughs> cool weather. Mm-hmm. Sure has been. Yeah, and we are hoping for a few sunny breaks, especially for the Easter Bunny this weekend. And we've got a couple of dry spots depending on where you are. First off, though, it is nice and bright looking towards the west right now. Overlooking English Bay, temperatures are sitting at 8. We've got a northwesterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. But over the last hour, we've actually seen a lot of instability, and that's for eastern areas extending into the Fraser Valley. We've had a lightning strike pop up, so isolated thunderstorms across the region. And it's been similar even across the island, and we'll continue to see that. It'll be chilly once again, so a heads up. Overnight tonight, especially across the island, inland, we could see some wet flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers. Most areas across Metro Vancouver will still see a few isolated showers overnight tonight. We've got the risk of frost for the morning hours. And then as we get in through the day tomorrow, most areas for Metro Vancouver will see some breaks in there and temperatures will be climbing up to nine as a daytime high. A nice break or lull in the action for most areas. Along the island, though, we could still hang on to a few isolated showers. Sunday morning, likely dry. And then and as we get in through the day, an increase in cloud cover, and we could see some rain developing as early as Sunday night. So a heads up. Now, the northern half of the province, different weather picture. Fantastic. Temperatures will be up to 9 degrees. Much of the central interior dry. Higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes, it'll be wet flurries, not much in terms of accumulation. And then along the south coast, it's really the island that will hang on to that instability. Wet flurries, chance for some showers, and extending in towards the Fraser Valley as well. Our five-day forecast and Easter Sunday forecast we could see that rain picking up through the day and then soggy for Monday and a touch cooler as well. But keep in mind, chilly for the morning hours on our Sunday. Tonight's weather window, a fantastic shot. This is a lenticular cloud, rather, indicates some instability. It was captured in Gibson, and then that's overlooking at Bowen Island by Pamela. Guys? All right, thanks, Yvonne. Saucer-like. Yeah, it is, is, Saucer-like. Awesome. All right, great storytellers are hard to come by in television news and Although we're sad for us, we're happy for him. We are losing Ted Chernecki to retirement. One of the best. Mm-hmm. That is true. He's been here. I have to think back here because I worked with Ted on The Late Show in the 90s. Mm-hmm. There was TV in the 90s for all the youngsters. <laughs> it was black there. and white, though, right? Uh, no yeah, it was black and white, yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, so Ted has been here for a long time. He's been in the business for almost 50 years. And when he was young, he traveled the world. And at one point, he actually got a gun stuck in his face by the authorities somewhere because they thought he was a spy. Ted just wanted to know what was going on. That's the way he's been his entire life and career. These pictures illustrate Ted Chernecki perfectly. Constantly moving, unafraid, perpetually curious. All the qualities of a world-class reporter. Just after 10 o'clock this morning, three mortar bombs were fired at 10 Downing Street. Ted Chernecki was born to be a journalist, but it was fate that brought him to the industry. I was working for the railway, and I got laid off in the fall because I was the junior guy on. And I just went down to the local radio TV station because it's something that's always interested me. And they, uh, they said, yeah, we could probably use you. And thus started a career that began with Ted doing a bit of everything. 
A clear, cold night can be expected tonight in southwestern Manitoba as we are now under the influence of a high Arctic cell. His career took him to Australia and London, England before he finally got to the place he really wanted to be. News Hour Final with Ted Trinecki. I always wanted to work at BCTV. It was, uh, this place has always intrigued me just because they always did things a little differently. You know, everybody else was kind of cookie cutting, you know. And this place always did something just different. Some say that the votes were close. Whether it was interviewing the Prime Minister when Vancouver won the Olympic bid, talking to Bushmen, or finding Todd Bertuzzi's house after that incident with Steve Moore. I'm looking for Todd. Is he around? No. Not here today? No, he's not. Get off my property now. Get off my property now. Um, so the, the fans were so, so angry that... Uh, Clive Jackson, our editor, suggested I have security guards put up at our house, you know, <laughs> for like the next few days at least. He survived that, and he also survived when Van Ock was mad at him for revealing the Anukshuk was the Olympic logo. It was fun because it was a big CTV, our competitors' event. They had a big half-hour show the next day, and they were going to be the big uh, reveal. Global here the night before is telling all about it. <laughs> Ted has told people all about it as a reporter and an anchor on Global, but he always liked reporting a bit better than being an anchor. It, it's really quite a boring, I shouldn't say there's too many people around here, but <laughs> it is kind of a boring job. Because it's nowhere near as exciting as being out in the field. But after 48 years, Ted has decided it's time to come off the field. As the um, Montreal Canadiens say in addressing them is with failing hands, I pass the torch to you for you to hold it high. Hmm. He was so good. I, I've often said he could read the phone book and it would sound interesting. Like just the way he delivered a story. Was... Did you notice his first job in Brandon? He sounds exactly the same as he sounds yeah. now. It's incredible. Yeah, it's true. He's a great reporter, great journalist. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, Ted, and uh, all the best in retirement. And also Thanks. a good human, which is, yes. you know, the most important thing. For and sure. I never, I don't know about you guys, I never saw him get rattled. No. He was always the same, same string. Even keel. And, and as I mentioned in a little company uh, meeting, he retires with a perfect record of never returning an email I sent him. <laughs> You know, he's, he replies to my email. He does. All right, there you go. I'm not surprised. All right, what, do you, what else do you have coming up? Well, uh, last night, uh, Bo Horvat left the game after getting hit with the puck in the ankle. And after the game, Bruce Boudreaux was actually optimistic he would keep playing and not have to miss any games. But Bo Horvat woke up this morning and things were much worse. So you won't see him the rest of the regular season. Uh-oh. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, satellite debris. Squire's doing triple duty. Bad timing. Bad yeah, it, timing. it is when the really leader bad. goes down, hey? Uh-huh. Really bad. In fact, the Canucks have avoided injuries pretty much all season. Now, when they need everybody as healthy as possible, they start losing people. Pearson, Besser, Hoaglander, and last night was particularly devastating because Bo Horvat is now out at least two weeks with a lower body injury, which pretty much means he's done for the rest of the regular season. He clearly has a foot or ankle injury after being hit with a shot in last night's 7-1 win over Arizona, hit where there are no pads. He's been a real leader in all categories for the Canucks down the stretch. He has the most goals. He takes all the key face-offs. This is just another big obstacle for Vancouver to overcome in order to make the playoffs. 
Sadly, one of the greatest goal scorers in NHL history died today. Mike Bossy succumbed to lung cancer at the age of 65. For 10 years, he was a superstar with the Islanders, helping them win four straight Stanley Cups. You're watching footage from the 82 Stanley Cup final when his scoring abilities terrorized the Canucks. He, of course, is a Hall of Famer whose career was cut short because of back issues. But when you look at this list, goals per game leaders after 1970, Mike Bossy is number one. Mario Lemieux is near him, but Bossy is way ahead of the rest of the pack. There you see Austin Matthews, Pavel Bure, Alex Ovechkin. If you're wondering, Wayne Gretzky is next after Ovechkin, but Mike Bossy was the man when it came to scoring night after night. Look who is back. Well, first of all, people in Montreal recognizing Mike Bossy, who played his junior hockey in Quebec. There's the guy I was talking about being back. Carey Price is finally back in the net. First start of the season, taking on the Islanders, incidentally. Stopped all 12 shots in his first two periods, but in the third, Zach Parise scoring from Matthew Barzell in New York beat Montreal by the score of 3-0. But nice to see Carey Price back in the lineup. The uh, Rugby Sevens, of course, starts at BC Place tomorrow, goes through Sunday. And Canada will be there, as we always are. But this Canadian team will be a lot different than the last one we saw in Vancouver. It's pretty much a whole new generation repping Canada. But they are certainly ready to perform on the Canadian stage. It's Canada. Look to the left-hand corner. And Vantage is offside. Jones. Just two years ago, Canada nearly won the Vancouver Rugby Sevens, finishing third in a dazzling display from their star players at the time, Nathan Hirayama and Harry Jones. But those two, along with nine other veteran players from that team, have since retired, meaning Canada's pretty much rebuilding its national team from scratch. They are young, talented and exuberant, but have struggled so far in the HSB series, ranked 13th out of the 16 teams competing. Yeah, we've got to be positive, we've got to, we've got to put our stall out and you know, draw a line in the sand on some disappointments and guys have got to learn quickly, you know, we, you know, we're, we'll be gunning for an Olympic place next year, so right now every tournament is valuable in terms of learning. But we've got to start showing those, you know, those lessons learned and start reacting. Victoria's Brennick Prevost is expected to be a key piece in Canada's future. It's been trial by fire so far, learning the hard way against some of the rugby superpowers like South Africa and Australia. Uh, the speed of uh, how it plays out, um, it's a lot quicker than we're used to, a lot more physical than we're used to. And uh, if you make a mistake, the good teams will pay for you. Uh, so... Just trying to be disciplined and playing with patience and just kind of learning as a group all together. And offloaded to Jake Teal. And Teal's penny is ears back. Jake Teal of Abbotsford has been with the national team for four years, but now at age 24, he's one of the veterans. It's his turn to lead, and he really sees good things ahead, although it may take a year or two to see the results. Yeah, there's no shortcuts. It's, it's, it's a growing growing period, um, which is unfortunate. I wish I could snap my fingers and uh, us be fully ready. Um, but we'll show flashes. We've already shown flashes. You know, we've, we finished top eight once this year. Um, and we can do that every year, uh, every tournament. We're super capable. We're a tough, gritty team, fast, young, fun. One thing is for sure, this young Canadian team will be jacked up playing in front of a raucous BC Place crowd this weekend. 
Experiences like this bring teams together and take them to greater heights. We're coming out here to win. There's uh, no questions asked, and we're going to upset some people, and we're going to put it on a show. Um, the boys are ready, locked and loaded. Um, it's so much energy. I feel youthful again. My knees don't hurt. Um, so, you know, we're, we're ready, and we're excited, and uh, we're going to put on a show. There's the uh, Heritage Round 2. Like the commercial used to say, nothing runs like a deer. Well, he hadn't bought a ticket, and security was chasing him, so what was he supposed to do? Uh, Corey Connors' tee shot on the par 3 would make the birdie here. He's at 4 under par. So is um, Adam Hadwin, also at 4 under par. Adam's fencing to Roger Sloan. A couple of more BC boys, minus 3. Nick Taylor didn't make the cut. It's Patrick Cantlay, who leads right now at 9 under par. This is one of the reasons he is leading. We should mention that there, of course, is the Billie Jean Cup tennis tournament going on at Pacific Coliseum with uh, Canada against Latvia. And Leila Annie Fernandez has won the first match for Canada. So we're up 1-0. Excellent news. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. We're back with Satellite Debris next. Just before Satellite Debris, Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a look at what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, a stretch of Highway 1 is going to close for a month after the long weekend. It's in Kicking Horse Canyon. But even if you have no plans to drive the route, you could feel the effects of this construction closure on your wallet. We'll explain at 11. Plus, a lot of people were thrilled to be heading to the States today. But one American expert we spoke to is troubled by the wait times British Columbians are currently seeing at the border. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. A lot of people showed a lot of patience today in those lineups. Thanks, Jordan. Well, they've already waited a couple of years, so. Right? What's, a, what's another <laughs> four hours? hours? Whatever. I never thought of it that way. That's a good point. They all seem pretty happy to be heading south, getting well, their Trader Joe's. Trader today. Joe's, exactly. They're all going to yeah. Trader Joe's. Uh, okay, so a um, bit of an adult theme in this first oh. segment, I mean slightly, slightly, but you've been forewarned, people at home. Anyway, uh, the first one's for Snickers, and the second one is for Holgar and Deco. I've never heard of them, but they have a nice commercial. All right, game. Uh. Hey, do you guys want to do a little swap? I mean, yeah, I could be into it. <laughs> Would I, like, move in with Tyler, or is it just more, you know, one-time casual thing? I was talking about switching up teams for fun. Of course. Whose turn is it anyway? Tyler's, apparently. Either end of the couch. So if you have someone come over, you can split the couch up, and then you yes. Can... See, that's a good idea. It has nothing to do with divorce. Maybe it is a smart idea. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's an epic from uh, Samsung Gal Galaxy. Make that. 
I need awesome galaxy A. Why? Because. I need awesome camera. Why? Because. I need awesome low light video. I need awesome durability. Why? That's why. Remember me. I need awesome screen. Why? I need awesome battery life. Why? Because yesterday was the best day I've ever had with you, Dad. And with this awesome battery, we can keep going for a whole nother day. <clears throat> awesome is for everyone. Well, I was getting a bit sappy there, so that guy had to jump. <laughs> was that a marmot? I don't know. If you like. Forest creature. Generic <laughs> forest creature. All right. Quick word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, we are going to see a bit of instability. It'll likely be for Sunday. We'll start to see some rain developing in the evening, but there are a few bright spots in there as well. There's a forest creature. Yeah, there's one there, yeah. <laughs> Happy Easter, Ramadan, <laughs> Passover, whatever you're celebrating. Enjoy the weekend. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.